Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. Singing was great. Appreciate that. Um, wanna, uh, I feel bad we keep starting out these Sundays in kind of a, a down, um, downer, but I want to thank each of you for praying for, uh, for Kim and her family. For those who don't know, her, pa- uh, her father passed away on Wednesday. And um, so we've been hit kind of hard as a family here recently with my dad passing away uh, last month. And uh, it was somewhat, it wasn't expected. Uh, Kim's dad wasn't feeling great lately, but we didn't think it was um, as bad as it was. And so Kim was able to be with him and um, was there when he passed away. And uh, So just be praying for her and for her, her brothers driving out. He and his wife are driving out. Um, should be here earlier this, this week. So, um, but I got some good news. Ready? All right, we're going to look at God's Word this morning. That's what the good news is. So, uh, because that's all that really matters when it comes right down to it. Kim's dad's in heaven and um, enjoying time with the Lord. When you think about it, don't answer out loud, just think about it. Who is the person that has made the greatest impact in your life? Right, don't, don't answer out loud, just kind of think, who is the greatest or has made the greatest impact in your life? <clears throat> Whoever that is... I'm, I'm going to throw this out, that they're probably not, and probably the person who has made the greatest impact in your life is actually Jesus Christ. And, and how, why I say that is this, you realize that all of history is based off of Jesus Christ, right? So you have B.C., which means before Christ. You have A.D., which doesn't mean after death, like some people think, but it means Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord, which is kind of cool because it's the year in our Lord. It's like 2021 is in the year of our Lord, 2021. This idea that Christ is still, he does, still exist and continues on year after year. And so before Christ's birth, after Christ, A.D., change it up a little bit on you. What's interesting is uh, as you kind of read through this and, and maybe if you if you pay attention to these things, you know, I do a lot of reading where you see a lot of BCAD in it. You'll start seeing BCE and CE. Now, that's for before Common Era and then the Common Era. And the reason for that is there are some who feel like, well, we don't want people to be offended by Jesus um, in Christianity, and so we're, we're going to take him out of it, and so we'll make it BCE and then we'll make it CE. The weird thing about that is that they still base it off of Jesus' existence, you know, his life. So what is BCE? Well, it's before Jesus. We're just not going to put Jesus' name in there. And what is CE? Well, it's after Jesus. So anyways, so Jesus has impacted this world greatly. In fact, the Huffington Post on their website had this article, Six Surprising Ways Jesus Impacted Our World. Even the Huffington Post, if you know anything about it, it's not the bastion of Christianity, all right? It's got a, a liberal news um, place. And, uh, but here, here are six things that they say, this is, this is how a guy named Jesus Christ impacted our world. Now, we know it's God the Son, right? But, so caring for children. First century and before that, you know, these people, they worshipped different man-made gods that they kind of put together. And one of the great things about these man-made gods is that they allowed you to do life however you wanted to do it. And how, if, if 
that God didn't like what you were doing. You just found another God who didn't mind what you were doing. And when it came to children, if they had children with disabilities, if they had too many girls and needed some more boys, uh, and they didn't want to have to take care of the girls, they would then sacrifice the child to their God. And they just would leave them exposed to nature. And so what was happening is when Christ came and the church started and Christians were living, they realized that baby was made in the image of God. That child has value. And so they would go take that child and they would make that child their own. And today we have orphanages. I mean, that's kind of where that all came from because people who placed their faith in Christ saw the, the need for it. The love of education started our, um, our colleges and our universities Believe it or not, Harvard and Yale and all these Ivy Leagues, they were started as Christian schools because there was a desire to study the Bible. And then there was those who even, um, it cost them their lives, but they made sure that we had it in our own language. And so we have English. William Tyndale was killed because of it. He wanted us to get away from the Latin and to read it in English. And then it was, wow, we have this awesome God. And so then there's a study of science and, and knowing how God has created this world, and philosophies was based off that, and, you know, just this love of education, compassion for the poor. You know, Christians were the ones, before, they would be like, well, if you were poor, it's because the gods wanted you poor. If you were rich, the gods wanted you to be rich, and so they they didn't help anybody. But Christians came along, and they're like, no, everybody is creating the image of God. We need to be caring for people. And so back like the Black Plague, it was Christians who were going in because they were saying, hey, listen, I've got my salvation taken care of. Christ saved me, so I get to go to heaven. So I'm going to go into these areas where there's death, and I'm going to care for these people. And I'm going to love them and help them because they knew that if they died, they're going to go to heaven. And so Christians were the ones who were getting in there in compassion for poor. Humility. The first century didn't have the word humility. In the Greek, there's no word for humility. There's no idea of being humble. It's always about what can I get? Who can I step on? How can I move ahead in life? I don't care what other people are doing. Forgiveness is another value that the first century and even before, there was no real value in this idea of forgiveness. You didn't forgive people. You, you knocked them down. You stepped on them. And then this humanitarian reform, as they used it, it means the idea that they elevated women Christianity elevated women to equals of men. Because again, we're all created in the image of God. And so where before women were treated more like property, Christianity says, no, we're equal in the eyes of God. And it's Christianity that gave value to slaves, those who said they're only partially human. Christianity said, no, all men are created in the image of God. And so Christ has made huge impact in our world, in our lives. Even more than maybe some that we impact. But here's the deal. As great as that impact is, as great as, as uh, Jesus has impacted our society and our culture and our understanding of human value, none of it matters if a person's eternity isn't settled. It's great that we've elevated women to equals of men. It's great that we see people with value, that we care for people, that we're compassionate for people. But the problem is if, you, if they come to the end of their life and we've shown them compassion, but at the end of their life they spend an eternity in hell, 
then all this other stuff doesn't really matter. We know that life is short. You know, my dad was 95. Kim's dad would have been 80 tomorrow. And we thought, wow, they've lived long lives. Yeah, I've heard that from people. You know, they've lived a good long life. They have. Awesome. You know, praise the Lord for that. But when you measure that against eternity, that doesn't even show up on the line. And so if we're, if we're always just focused on this world, if that's what we think that life is all about is this world, we are in a world of hurt because we've got eternity to live. The Bible says that there's two options for what eternity is. It's either going to be eternity in hell because we've sinned against God and God is a good judge and he judges our sin or it's an eternity in heaven if we accept the gift that he offers, a gift that only he can offer, by the way. So today, well, in this series, we're going to be looking at um, this impact that Jesus has made. Okay, And today... We're going to hit the ground running because uh, this is like the greatest part, or maybe this is where it all starts. Maybe it's the best way to do it. We're going to look at what life was like before Christ and what life can be like A.D., after Christ. All right, you ready? Ready for this? Okay, all right. I'm trying to get myself hyped up, and, you know, it's been a long week. I'm trying to, oh, so you guys need to help me with that. I just threw my shoulder out. Oh, that's... Anyway, so... Uh, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. It's page 1170, if you're using the Bible there, in the cheers. Uh, for some of you, this will be recognizable because I've preached on this passage before. I've talked about this passage a lot. It might be familiar to you because this is the passage that I sat and talked to you about when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, because this is one of my go-to passages for that. That's great. It's just a solid, great passage that gives us the you know, perfect explanation of who we were before Christ, who we are because of what God has done for us through Christ, and then what happens or what should be happening in our life afterwards. If, if you have never heard this passage before or you've been here and not paid attention, this is the first time you're paying attention to what I'm saying, then you're going to have the opportunity to open up the greatest gift that's ever been given. And so... I'm excited about this. I love this passage, and I'm excited about what God wants to, to do through it. So let me go ahead and start out. We're going to read the first three verses. So this is who we are before Christ, before we've placed our faith in Christ. Now, Paul is writing to these Christians in the town of Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, remember when? He's just kind of giving them a reminder, chapter 1, chapter 2. Hey, this is, this is who you were before Christ. This is what God has done for you. Chapter 1 is just huge. I mean, you could take, we could take a year just going through chapter 1 of this whole idea that God chose us before he ever created the world. Man, what does that mean? It's just, that's powerful stuff. That God loves us so much, he was thinking of us before he ever created the world. So he's reminding them here in these verses, remember when. He says, and you were dead. He's talking spiritually now. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So you, this is how everybody in the world walks. This is everybody around you, your neighbors, everybody without Christ, this is how they live. According to the prince of the power of, air, of the air, which is, he's talking about Satan there, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now this, 
the, the spirit of, of the prince of this world, you know, Satan and those the sons of disobedience, what he's talking about there is Satan is, the, the fall that Satan had was the fact that he was proud. And he was saying, I'm going to be God. And God's like, nope, already got that. So if you want to do that, you need to leave. And so God kicked him out of his presence in that sense because he sinned because he wanted to be the God of his life. When we as humans do that, we are operating like Satan. When we think we know better than God what we should be doing, when we respond a way that God doesn't want us to respond, we're just basically imitating Satan. So that's what he was talking about there. So among them, these sons of disobedience, those doing life their way, not God's, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In other words, we're responding and thinking selfishly. And we're by nature children of wrath, this eternal judgment in hell, even as the rest. Again, so now he's reminding, so those of you who are in the room who have placed your faith in Christ, it's an opportunity for you to remember what it was like prior to, and thank the Lord that you're not there anymore. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, God's telling you this is how he views you. Okay? It's kind of crucial. Because oftentimes... We think we know what God thinks of us, and we base our living off of that. But God wants us to know what does he think of us prior to placing our faith in Christ. He says, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. That word dead there means to be you're so morally and spiritually lacking, it's as if you're dead. So God looks at our trespasses, and that's, you know, he's got this, Moral standard, right? And Ten Commandments is a great summary of that. And so we go through life and we have the Ten Commandments in front of us and any one of us, as we look at those Ten Commandments, we know we've broken at least one of those and we've probably broken all of them. For instance, don't respond, but if if you have ever said in your life, oh my God, you've broken the Ten Commandments. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay, so you broke that law. Trespass. And just that one alone, because we've sinned against an infinite, eternal God, our judgment is infinite and eternal. So it's an eternity in hell. So our trespasses, our sins, it means to be departing. So it's when we kind of go off track, when we don't do life the way God's called us to do it, and we kind of go off track, it's missing the mark. So God's having Paul tell us that God views us this way, but we struggle because we go, well, I'm physically alive. I'm walking around. I'm breathing. I'm eating. I'm going to work. I'm talking to people. I mean, I even think about God from time to time, and there's sometimes I'm really in a bad spot. I, I pray, and I, I talk to the man upstairs. I even sit in church a lot of times. I go at least at Christmas and Easter, sometimes even more. Yeah, that's That's true. You're physically alive, but what God wants us to know is that without Christ, we're spiritually dead. We're dead to Him. There's no relationship there. You're just doing what you're doing. It has no impact on your relationship with Him and His relationship with you. So, take a moment. Don't look at anybody in the eye, but just look around the room real quick. Just look around. Don't look anybody in the eye because it's really awkward if you do that. 
Paul says that everyone, Paul says, remember, we all were that way. And this is, you know, it's, it's bad news, but if there's any good news in this bad news, is the fact that we're all that way. Paul was that way before putting his faith in Christ. The other apostles were that way before they placed their faith in Christ. The Ephesian Christians were that way before they placed their faith in Christ. You and I are that way before we place our faith in Christ. We're all spiritually dead apart from Christ. He says we've lived in the lust of our flesh. Now, this word lust, it means desire. And most of the time in the Bible, it's a negative connotation. Sometimes it can be a positive. In this case, this is a negative one. But God has given us some, um, what we call God-given desires. <clears throat> and so we have God-given desires for relationships. We have God-given desire for intimacy. We have God-given desires to uh, supply for our families and take care of our families. We, we have a God-given desire for a sense of fulfillment in life and accomplishing things. But what Paul's talking about here is <clears throat> we live according to the lust of the flesh. So our selfish desires for these things. Well, what we do is we, we, we take these God-given desires and we don't worship God through the expression of those things. Those become our God. That's what we live for. And so we live for relationships. And everything is about that relationship. Getting something from that relationship. Or everything's about intimacy. And it's about having that, you know, in this case, the whole sexual side of things. Sex is a, is a gift from God. It's a desire that God's given us. But it's supposed to be in the boundaries of marriage. But we go out and we, we, we want to satisfy that outside of marriage. Or our jobs, finances. So that our jobs become what we worship. Money becomes what we worship. Rather than worshiping God through experiencing those things in our lives the way he wants us to do it. He talks about that we indulge the desires of the flesh. And that word means that we, we look for more ways to have it. And so we work even harder. We, we take more overtime you know, more and more time away from the family. But we get involved in relationships that we shouldn't even be involved in because they're tearing us down. A lot of people will say, I, I just need to follow my heart. I need to, you know, people will say, well, I've made a mistake of watching some of these Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh my word. I do it because I love my wife. And, you know, she says, can we just watch something mindless? NASCAR is mindless. I mean, can we go for an old NASCAR race? I mean, really, please. Hey, just follow your heart. Can I just give you some advice from Scripture? Don't follow your heart. Our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are selfish. Our hearts don't know what we want. We think we know what we want, but we don't know what we want. God knows what we want and need. So we don't follow our hearts. We follow God's heart. We do what he calls us to do, no matter how difficult it is. It's our thoughts, our heart, that gets us the wrath of God. He says we're by nature children of wrath. And that word nature, this, I mean, that's our being. That's our condition. That's just who we are. That's what we're born as. And because of that, we're going to experience God's wrath. 
And his wrath is not just some out-of-control, freaking-out, anger thing. It's, it's very focused. It's very controlled. And it's focused on those who have not placed their faith in Christ, who have not received God's forgiveness through faith. And it's on those who say, I don't need God's help, or I think I know better than God how I need his help. And so it's very focused. So if you're here this morning, and you've never placed your faith in Christ, that's how God views you. No matter what you might think, no matter what you might feel, no matter what your heart might be telling you, this is how God views you. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. All right? You got to have bad news to have good news, right? So here's the good news. God is offering you the best gift anybody could ever give you. It will impact your life here and transform you for eternity. It comes through Christ and it's spiritual life. That's what you need. You need to have spiritual life giving to you. And it's something that God offers it to you. And so the first thing is we understand a spiritual life, starting in verse 4. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy. So here we are, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. We can't do anything. We can't have a relationship with God. We're just laying there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, took the spiritual paddles, hit them, right? Made us alive together with Christ. It's in green here, I don't know if you can tell, because of what's going on in the next verse. So, together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up, look at this, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you see any of us in there? Did you see Harold somehow put in there? You know, it's Christ and then then Harold. You know, Harold does a little bit over here. No, it's always in Christ. It's, It's always about what God is doing for us through Christ. And why is he doing it? It's not for you and me, but it's for his Glory. He says, but God. There's only one person in this universe who is infinitely powerful and able to give spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Only one can do that. You can't help him. I can't help him. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how good looking we think we are, only God. Because he is rich in mercy. Every attribute of God is infinite. Talked about this last week. So he is infinitely merciful. He will not give you what you deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve judgment for our sin. But he is infinite in his mercy. He'll cover whatever you've done. Whatever bad thing has happened in your life, whatever thing you've done in your life, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how bad you're like, well, God could never, don't even, you don't go down that road, don't follow your heart thinking that God doesn't forgive you. He is infinitely merciful. 
It's his great love. His love is infinite. This love is that sacrificial love. This love is looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost. It cost Jesus his life. God the Son becomes man, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for you and for me. Because he knows what's best for us is a relationship with God the Father. That's what's best. And so it cost him his life. He did that for us. And then it was God who made us alive. He made us alive spiritually. He's the one who gave us the spiritual life that we need. He says, alive together with Christ. When Christ died on a cross, when we say, say, yes, I believe he did that for me, then it's as if I have died on that cross. And as Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin and hell, it's as if I'm doing the same thing because I am with Christ. I am not Christ. I never become him. But I am with him. I'm united with him. I am alive together with him because he died my eternal death. He died your eternal death. And then rose to defeat that. That life comes through God the Holy Spirit. And Paul doesn't talk about him in this passage, but he talks about him a lot. And then look how certain it is. He, He says that he raised us up and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. That's it's all past tense. So in the Greek, what that means is it's so certain, it's as if we're already there. Your salvation, the time that you placed your faith in Christ, in that point in time, whenever that was, when you were sincerely saying, God, save me, please forgive me of my sins, I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone, at that moment, whenever that was, I was four years old. At that moment, it was as if I was already in heaven. That's how certain my salvation is. Not based on me, but based on God and what he does in our lives. And why do you do this? So that God could show his infinite kindness, his infinite grace, his infinite mercy, his infinite love. See, our salvation is not about us. We never got, we never got to the place where we could help him with our salvation, and he didn't save us because of something we bring to the table. He saved us because it brings him the most glory. It helps people see the awesome God that he is. Because, man, if he could save you and me, then certainly he can save anybody, right? And that's an awesome thing to be able to express to other people. He wants to do that through the ages to come, for eternity. As we are in the new heaven and the new earth one of these days, we're going to be looking at each other going, man, God is awesome. He saved you and me. So what does it take on our part? So we're spiritually alive because, or by, by God, and we're spiritually alive through faith. And this is what he goes on to say. It says, for by grace, not for by herald or for, for by anybody else, but for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, that faith is not of yourselves, it, that faith is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so it's, salvation is not about all the good stuff that we do. It's not about going to church and, and doing all the stuff that a church would tell you to do, doing all the religious activities. That, that does not save you. God is telling us that that's not, that doesn't save us. We may think it does. People may have told us it does, 
But God is telling us, and that, this isn't just the only passage that he tells us in this, other places. And by the way, that's awesome. That's good news. Because what if we don't know if we did enough? You know, so the fact that we can't do anything, that's, that's a positive, people. That's a, that's a good thing. So no one, so here's another, so why? So no one would boast. He's saving us so that no one would boast. So spiritual life made possible by God, we're spiritually alive by God, and then we're spiritually alive through faith. That spiritual life is given to us through faith. It's grace. God's grace is infinite. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve a relationship with God. And so he, but he gives it to us because of his grace. It's through faith. And faith is a state of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. So my faith is not in me and my ability to hang on. My faith is in God and the reliability that God says he has saved me. And so I have, it's through faith. Faith in Christ, God the Son. It's his gift to give to me. It's not something I earn. It's not a work that I do. I don't pay him money. I don't work it off at church. It's a gift. He says it's not a result of works. He doesn't want us to be going, yeah, yeah, I I did part of that. Yeah, I got, I helped. It's all about what he does, who he is, so no one one can boast. No one can take pride. And if we're going to take pride in anybody, it's in God and his goodness and his desire to forgive us and save us. So any good gift that you guys get this Christmas, any good gift that you guys get, What's going to make it good is it's going to make your life easier. It's going to impact your life some way, right? So my wife, uh, we were out shopping, getting some lumber for the house, and because um, my gift to her is changing up what the house looks like inside, uh, and she got me some wrenches, and they're the kind that are in a forty, you know, like a ninety degree, and you can eat, 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 like for distributors and stuff like that. So she's yeah, just get them. Like, Thanks, honey. <laughs> you know, I cried a little bit, and you know, hugged and. And then it was okay, we got done because people were looking at us. And so, but that li- it's going to make my life easier, right? It, it's going to impact my life in a good way. Well, same thing with this. So we've been given spiritual life by God. We receive spiritual life through faith. And then we have spiritual life for good works. It's not good works gives me spiritual life. I get spiritual life. Now it's for good works. This is how Paul finishes this off. That's why this chapter, or this, um, these verses are so good. Now, after you've placed your faith in Christ, now, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, there it is again, for good works. Yes, now being a good person matters. Now being kind to people matters. Now doing what God wants you to do matters. Now coming to church and worshiping matters and serving matters and taking communion matters and being baptized matters. Membership matters. Why? Because you're saved. And that's worship of God. You do life his way. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. When, when God gives you spiritual life, your entire life is impacted. It changes completely. Why? Because we are his workmanship. 
We're God's masterpiece. He's taking spiritually dead people, yeah, physically alive, but spiritually dead, and he's turned them into something brand new, a physically alive, spiritually alive person. Brand new. Whatever's gone on in the past, it's in the past. It's forgiven. It's taken care of. The other cool thing is that he'll take that stuff, your experiences, what you've gone through, and how that all helped you lead you to the point where you accepted Christ as your Savior, and he's going to allow you to use that as you talk to other people who are in that same situation. So our past has value even. Even the crummy, I almost said a word I probably shouldn't use, bad stuff that we've gone through. I wasn't going to swear, but I was going to use a word that my wife would have said, you shouldn't use that word. Just so you know. But all that junk, but here we go, all that junk back here, God can use. And he'll use it in and through you to draw other people to him so they can have this incredible gift. We are his workmanship. Before Christ, we constantly messed up and made bad choices and messed up our lives. After Christ, with this new spirit, this spirit that God has given us through his Holy Spirit, we do life his way. They call that, um, some people have said that the workmanship means uh, a masterpiece. You ever thought that your life is a masterpiece? By the way, a masterpiece, when you look at a masterpiece, you don't go, wow, awesome masterpiece, and then you leave it there, right? You usually go, man, that was a, that was a great drawing, that was a great piece of music, or what, who did that? And that's how it is in our lives. So when people see our life and see how God changes us and transforms us, they go, wow, how did that happen? Who did that? I've heard some of you guys who've seen God do some work in your life, and some people will say to your wives, man, what did you do to your husband? You know? And the wife fortunately says, I didn't do anything. It's God doing the work. He says we are created. It means to bring something into existence. Again, something that didn't, didn't exist before. God does the creating, and we're created for good works. Now we live our lives not trying to earn our way to heaven because our heaven's already certain. And so I can love you guys, and I can care for you guys, and I can love non-Christians and my neighbors and other people I might know. who are, I can love them genuinely and without any selfish motive. Because if I was loving them, because I thought by loving them, I would be going to heaven, that's not love. That's selfishness. Selfishness is a sin. But if I can love people, if you can love people freely, because you're already going to heaven, because of what God's done for you, that's true love. There's not any manipulation there. There's no selfishness there. I'm not saying it's easy. Christ went to the cross. It's not easy. But we do all these things now in worship of God and showing God how much we love him. And then, as people talk to us, to be able to offer them the gift that we've received. So as we close this morning, <clears throat> some of you here this morning, I'm confident, just because of how God works in our church family, there's always people who are checking out Christianity and seeing if it's really for them. And, and so, for some, this morning, your takeaway is to accept God's gift of spiritual life. Stop fighting and trying to do it on your own. You're not even supposed to do that. God doesn't want you doing that. 
He's already made it possible for you. So just believe what he says. You, you've seen it here. And hopefully you had your Bible open. You're just not up on the screen. You know, it's right there. It's in the Bible, black and white. And it's simply saying, I, I get it. Man, I, I've been trying a whole bunch of other things to try to make things right with God, but I can't. So you're admitting, just like those of us who have already done that, admitting that you've, you've sinned, that you're spiritually dead and you need his help. And then it's believing it's trusting, it's having faith that what God says about how you're saved is what's true. Not what you think or not what somebody else has told you. And again, I get it. We, we have people tell us things over the years and we're, we kind of gravitate towards that and they, we believe they loved us and they, they most likely do, but they may not have had it right. And so what does God say? Because that's ultimately the one that matters. So he says, believe me when I say Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Believe me that without my help, without me doing this in you, you won't have spiritual life. And then you just confess that. You just say, God, I understand that I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. Without your working in my life, I'm nowhere. But I believe I'm trusting you and I'm placing my faith in Christ. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. So go ahead and close your eyes and <clears throat> do this from time to time. Not every week, but we do this from time to time. And, and, and I just want to give you an opportunity to open that gift today. When we're giving gifts at Christmas, nobody says, well, I'll wait and get, take it home and open it. Everyone opens it right then. So man, let's take this, this morning and open up that gift, those of you who need to. Now, if you've done this in the past, I, I, I want to constantly remind us, you can only be born spiritually once, just like you can only be born physically once. So if you've prayed to accept Christ in your past, that means God has saved you. If you're sincere about it, God has saved you at that moment. It's as if you are already in heaven. But this morning, if you haven't done that, if you're really unsure about what happened in the past, make this morning that morning. And so that's the case, just, just have a conversation with God. I'm just going to lead you in, in something that you can pray, just sometimes it helps people. So if prayer doesn't save you, I'm not saving you. God is. And just say, God, I know that I'm, I've sinned and I'm spiritually dead without you. But I believe, I'm trusting in what you say, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead to defeat my sin in my time in hell. I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. Please forgive me of my sins. I'll keep your eyes closed. If you've prayed that prayer, you just raise your hand, just hold it up for a little bit. Let me, let me see it. Okay, thanks. I see that. See that hand. Thanks. See that hand. Thanks. Thanks. Anybody else? Trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for those that raise their hand. Lord, I, I pray that your word says in Romans 8 that you would confirm your spirit to, to those individuals' spirit, that they are a child of God, and I pray that you would confirm that to their heart. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would... Um, 
help them to understand the need to just now start growing in that relationship, to know who you are, to be in your word, to be here at church, to be a part of Bible studies, but at home, to open up the Bible and read and, and understand who you are. Lord, thank you for your work in the lives of those in our room this morning. And praise in Christ's name. Amen. As the band comes up, we've got one more takeaway. So it's for those who have placed their faith in Christ, including those who have done it here in our auditorium. And, and, and I'd all say, if, if you've done that this morning, I would love to talk to you about it. Just come up and grab me. If I'm talking to somebody, just pull me away from the person. It's okay. They all understand. Um, but let me talk with you. And I got, we've got a little gift for you, too, that will kind of help you with that. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we need to be given out that greatest gift. That's our responsibility. We're thinking about gift giving, right? We're thinking about, oh, I've got to buy this, got to buy that. And we're ruining our entire December, worrying about gifts and what we're given. Well, make it easy. You can grab one of those or several of those you've been gifted cards and invite people to come on our Christmas Eve or Christmas services. I'll give them the gospel, and you take them out for lunch or something, and then you talk to them about what we talked about. I would really love it and hear if you guys went out for coffee and you shared the gospel with them, these verses, and you got to pray with them. I would love to hear that. I love sharing the gospel like I did this morning and one-on-one in my office and stuff. Man, I love it when you guys are able to do that and experience that. We want to give the gift of salvation to those in our lives who need it. Logan?